Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Indy Rose Podcast. I'm Tom Lewis, and this is episode four, a.k.a. the Victor Oladipo episode, as voted on by Indy Rose readers. Oladipo won it in a landslide, winning 76% of the vote beating out Travis Best, Byron Scott, and Luis Scola. Really a no-brainer for Pacers fans, but um, speaking of Scola and FIBA, which we are going to talk about a little bit later with our guest, Caitlin Cooper, uh, Luis was playing for Argentina and fared quite well. Very impressive. Still getting it done at age 39 on the international stage. Impressive. Um, as for the Pacers, we are zeroing in on preseason action. On uh, September 27th, that's next Friday, Pacers have media day and tip off their preseason workouts. And then they will quickly hop a plane within a few days and head over to Mumbai, India for a pair of games on um, October 4th and 5th where they will play the Sacramento Kings in a uh, NBA International Goodwill game in India where they will try to expand the NBA fan base. And then um, after their play in India, they return back to ND, um, where they play the Chicago Bulls on October 11th, following week. So they get a little time to shake off the jet lag and get a little work in, play the Bulls at the field house. And then on that Sunday, October 13th, is the Fan Jam event at the field house. Always a fun time. I'm sure there will be a good rookie show with Goga Bitatze putting on uh, some entertaining action. And I believe if you go, you got to bring some food. Make sure you load them up. Uh, bring some uh, food for the food bank. And then the Pacers wrap up preseason play on Tuesday, October 15th, at the field house against uh, Minnesota. So that will be it. And then they will be off um, until the following week, Wednesday, October 23rd, when they tip off the regular season against Detroit. So preseason action starts on September 27th and kicks into high gear right away. Going to be a busy preseason with lots of action as the Pacers try and incorporate a lot of new faces and get Miles Turner and Domas Sabonis a little rest from all their world travels with international play um, while also trying to get them to get used to playing with each other because, you know, they really haven't played that much together, and that's pretty important. In fact, we're going to hit on that pretty heavy with Caitlin Cooper, who is on the pod next. So enjoy. 
All right, happy to welcome back to the pod, Caitlin Cooper from Indy Cornrows. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing much better than I was a week ago, so I, we had to postpone this pod for me being ill, <laughs> and now we're I'm healthy and ready to go, so. That's right. It's a good time to get sick a couple of weeks before preseason. <laughs> All right. That was well-timed, so we're, we're good. <laughs> um, not a ton happened since then, but um, uh, we did get through all the FIBA World Cup action, and as I mentioned earlier, preseason starts next Friday with uh, media day on, and then really kicks into high gear right away because the team has to travel to India within a week and, and, uh, they'll, they'll be off and rolling. Uh, any concerns with that preseason schedule? Well, it actually kind of, I mean, I kind of anticipated that Lithuania was going to last a little bit longer than they did in the World Cup, but for mm-hmm. Sabonis's case, not that that's a long break, but I mean, they didn't play those consolation games that Team USA was playing, so he's had a little bit more downtime, so it shouldn't be quite as much of a turnaround, but still, that's a lot of time zones to be crossing in less than a month's time, because I mean, they were even over in South Korea before they started playing in China. And then obviously he's going to be coming back to the United States and then going back to India and then coming back to the United States. So hopefully both he and Miles are going to be in tip top form and over the jet lag because it's going to be a lot's going to be hinging on the two of them and you want to get as many reps in at training camp and at preseason with both of them on the floor, I would think as you can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that really is a big issue is, uh, it wasn't so much the heavy workload on the court, but, but all that travel and, and, uh, Time, especially you know Sabonis, he ended up just playing four games with Lithuania at the actual World Cup. Not you know, five, World five, season. and then he didn't he didn't play against the Dominican Republic in the okay right after so, they were eliminated. Yeah, and he and you know I guess we can thank uh, Rudy Gobert for that goaltend or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Um, so yeah, I was looking at you know his numbers. He averaged about. A little under 24 minutes a game with them, which isn't too bad. Miles obviously played more games, um, averaged a little under 20 minutes a game. Um, so again, the workload, you know, they're, they're going to be putting in work, whether they're, um, you know, in doing the World Cup stuff or at home or wherever they are. But again, that travel is going to be a bear. So hopefully they'll, uh, they'll have enough time to, to get that out of their system by the time October 23rd rolls around, um, which should be enough time for them. Um, but again, like you said, they're going to need the reps. So um, let's start with, with Sabonis um, at the World Cup. What did you see from him, good, bad, and different? Yeah, I think with him, it was just kind of generally when I got done watching all those games that I didn't really see – I expected what I saw. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Sabonis was Sabonis. So he showed his skills. Right. He showed his smarts. He showed his strength. I mean, if anything, it's crazy it may sound, he actually looked a little bit stronger even than he did last year. I mean, there was moments where, like, Aaron Baines was guarding him in the Australia game, and he was trying to take away his left hand, and, like, Sabonis was just having none of that. Mm-hmm. So, like, the dexterity thing isn't that big of an issue when your strong hand is that strong, I guess. But... <laughs> Um, literally strong hand. Yes. Yeah. He, 
he was second. I just looked up the stats right before we got on here. He was second among centers that made it to the second round in assists per game in Lithuania. I mean, that was kind of one of the main differences between how Miles was being used with Team USA versus Sabonis. Sabonis was drawing a lot more defensive attention because obviously mm-hmm. he's one of his team's top two stars. So, like Canada, they were smaller, so they were doubling him in the post pretty much every time he caught it. And then most of the other teams used a lot of ice coverage, which means they're trying to force the pick and roll over to the sideline. So there were games where he was kind of more limited to, you know, I'm I'm flipping screens or changing the angle on the screens just so Lithuania's guards could be getting into the paint with like a snake dribble. So he wasn't wasn't having quite as many touches, I would say, in terms of touches for points as he would with the Pacers, but his fingerprints were all over the offense. Like it showed how much they built the offense largely around him when he was out on the court and how important he was to connecting both sides of the floor in a way that Valanciunas really wasn't going to. But in terms of just wanting to see like some new stuff from him, he would catch the ball on the perimeter and it wasn't that he was like afraid to put the ball on the floor, but he would have plenty of space to line up a shot from three if he wanted to. And Mm -hmm. there were several instances where he just wasn't doing that. And I don't know if that was a coaching directive. I do know that ahead of when Lithuania was playing, their team's Facebook page actually posted a video of him like shooting threes uncontested threes of course in a workout video that he was making all of <laughs> and, and Valentinus had like yeah Valentinus had a quote where I mean it was translated but he, somebody asked him like how do you how are you doing with two centers on the floor and he's like well Sabonis can you know step out to three or whatever and none of that really happened in any of those five games so I don't know if he just wasn't supposed to be shooting those shots but he wasn't really eager to be taking them and then like defensively you could still see like there was one play of Miles Turner against Brazil that I thought was pretty impressive where he stepped out and hedged against their guard and recovered all the way back to block Anderson Varejao, which is when their coach got ejected. But like just how <laughs> fluidly he was moving was impressive. And like with Lithuania, they were having trouble with that, with Sabonis being able to get out with the hedge and how they were mistiming um, some tags. So that's just like a big difference that you see between the two of them defensively. I thought that stood out in some of those World Cup games. But yeah, I mean, I just didn't see a lot of things like as far as new tricks and some of that's a matter of system and the game being different. I think a lot of times yeah. in FIFA, bigs are used more as rollers and than they are in other ways. So we might still see some some of Sabonis shooting a few more threes than he did last year, but we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I wasn't able to catch as many of the Lithuanian games or as much as I would have liked, but it definitely seemed like even just their style was a lot more physical. I mean, the game was physical for those big guys at least. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he did he shoot more than one three? I, I don't know. I don't think he did. Like, I, I tried I to look that one. up. I think he only attempted one, and it was in, like, garbage time of right. every game the right. first games. But. Yeah, so, all right, work in progress, continue. And then with Miles, um, you know, it was – I felt – his play was up and down. It's kind of like what we're used to with him, where you see him play a great game and and uh, you know make a big impact either on the glass or blocking shots, and then kind of disappear for a game or two. Um, but I felt he looked better at times doing things. One one of the best things I saw, uh, I think it was against Brazil, going to the bucket. And he was cut off and actually went into a spin move with a little lefty yes. jump hook. I was like, what is that? Yeah, so, I didn't even know he could do that. So. No, I know. <laughs> I, I felt like when he got done, he was like, wow, that was great. What did I do? Um, but, you know, that type of thing is is great to see. I also felt kind of the role he was playing on that team and the way that team played 
didn't help him. You know, I mean, they, they, as a team, just, especially once Tatum went out, you know, they just didn't shoot well enough. Um, and, and he wasn't, you know, one of the primary guys. He was out there to play a role. Right. So it was, you know, kind of hard to get too down on, on what he does. I mean, he's not a great rebounder. We know that. Um, but, um, you know, he had his moments. He didn't shoot a lot of threes either. I think he only shot 10. So, um, you know, I, I hesitate to say that what we saw there was going to be what we're going to see again with the Pacers. But, you know, the, the benefit of playing under a different coaching staff, playing with a bunch of different players and just going through that process has got to help mature his game on some level. Right. I, I did think he showed a little bit getting some contested rebounds here and there that you wouldn't have necessarily seen a year ago. And I think his screen setting is still showing improvement. Like I thought that last year where he was pretty intuitive flipping around and, you know, setting it on one side and flipping around to the other when bigs mm-hmm. were in a drop. And he ran the floor pretty well, too, I thought. There were several ones where he got out ahead of the action and really ran to get the ball. But... Yeah, I mean, some of it even went back as early as the friendlies. And, you know, with Miles, I know a lot of people bring up consistency, but sometimes I don't think it's so much about him as it is that, you know, the opponent adjusts to him and then he doesn't really have very many adjustments for the adjustments, so to speak. Because, like, and the one friendly versus Australia, he was being guarded, like, whether Baines or Bogut was on the floor, he was drawing the assignment of the five. So it was easier to get him in the pick and pop some. And then when they played the second game, they wanted to take that away because he had such a good game in the first one and they were pre-rotating to his spot and sending two to the ball and he just didn't really have a lot that he was going to do about that. And I didn't think we have saw too much in the games that I watched about what he was doing against the switch and the few opponents that switches. His post-game still wasn't looking too swell. But if he can show what he did on the offensive glass, that would be a boon because the Pacers do have a lot of drivers. So if they get a switch and they, you know, if it's TJ Warren or Jeremy Lamb or Victor or, you know, whoever who's attacking and he can punish that switch on the glass, then maybe you're not as concerned with his post game if he's willing to get in there and really body out for some boards whenever he has a smaller defender on him. If they front, that would be helpful, but yeah, I don't know if they point. will give in. Given what he's showing against some of the switching, I don't see a lot of teams that do front him, even though he has a size advantage, but that would definitely help on the offensive glass. And that was something I should have brought up with Sabonis, because there were a few times I noticed with Lithuania when both bigs were on the floor, which Lithuania didn't play them a ton together, except for the first and the fourth. But when they were on the floor, Australia in particular, they were, they were watching when Sabonis went to the offensive glass and they were leaking out. So that would be something to consider that if both of them are going to be guys that can go to the offensive glass more this year with the Pacers. How do the Pacers balance that versus, you know, transition defense and leak outs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I, I like that point about, um, you know, I think with the guys they have this year, when it, it's time to create a shot late in the clock, you know, with, with Lamb and, and Brogdon in particular, you know, they, they, they're probably going to be creating a job, a, a shot on the drive a little bit more, which right. would free up Turner to either hit the glass or get free with, with the help. So that might work out well for him in that situation. So, yeah, I mean, overall, can't complain about the experience for them and, and um, uh, gotta assume it's going to help down the road. So both need to come up big this year and obviously they're going to have to figure out a way to play together. I think we can hit on that in a little bit, but we'll be back right after this break. All right, back with Caitlin Cooper. 
I wanted to hit on a uh, podcast I listened to recently with Jay Michael from the Indie Star. Uh, with uh, he was on a show dunked on podcast with Nate Duncan. I would uh, highly recommend you go check it out. But I wanted to pull out a couple points that uh, he he talked about, which were worth discussing. Uh, I really appreciate Jay Michael's work. He's a veteran beat reporter for the NBA. Um, been around the league, knows a lot of guys, and and really, I kind of like him. He doesn't he's not self promoter type guy, but um, he he digs in and talks to a lot of people within different organizations and gets a lot of different viewpoints. Um, I know one one thing he discussed was he talked to a lot of people about uh, Goga Batate and and how he had trouble finding anybody who had an issue with that and and even uh, you know was saying how the Spurs were really upset that uh, the Pacers took him because he was their guy. He thought they were, uh, he was going to follow the Spurs, so that's always a good thing. Um, with Batazzi, but um, he also kind of the uh, more salacious comments or or issues he brought up with Nate was that um, talking about Miles Turner and Sabonis and and whether the Pacers were considering trading him. Um, he was reporting, which he reported at the time, not with a lot of details, but but reiterated in this podcast that. Um, New Orleans, before they made their big deals uh, this summer, but knew where they were going to pick, really wanted to trade for Miles Turner and offered up the number four pick in the draft at the time. Pacers didn't want to go for that, but but did have Sabonis on the table, which is interesting. Just when you get down to thinking at some point, unless things go extremely well, they're going to be dealing one of these guys, and it seems like, from that, you know, their preference would be to, to deal Sabonis. Um, I'm assuming also um, that Sabonis is going to sign an extension. So they'll be in the ballpark as far as salary. Um, I think the two guys will um, if it comes to that. Um, but I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, that that was already in motion. And now I don't know what else would have been involved in that, but um um, what would you have thought of that that move? I'm kind of interested to know who they really liked at number four. Right. Like, I think that would shape it. Like, were they liking Jackson Hayes? Because, I mean, at that point in time, they didn't know that they were going to be drafting Goga. They didn't know that he was going to fall down the list and that they were going to have a backup center already in their lap. So that's kind of an interesting one. I mean, the, the Sabonis, them countering and saying that they, they would have offered up Sabonis doesn't necessarily surprise me because – I thought I was pretty telling at their one presser, well, the one I think for Goga, where they said, you know, this he's a shot blocker and that's the most important thing in our defensive system. Like, if that's really how they feel, then right. obviously you're going to side with Miles Turner, like, because that's what he's going to offer you. Absolutely. He's going to be the crux of your defensive system. So I'm not super surprised by that. And I, I kind of think it kind of plays into the fact, I think we might have talked about this on the last pod, that I, I have some doubts that them playing Miles and Sabonis was really going to be their play for this year. Because if it was, you'd certainly didn't experiment with it very much at all last year the minutes when they were on the court were basically minutes to get Sabonis extra minutes for the most part and two like I'm pretty sure that Jay Michael had an earlier report too where Aaron Gordon was on the table for or Aaron Holiday was on the table for Aaron Gordon so if you're planning on acquiring Aaron Gordon from Orlando I really don't think you were planning on starting Gordon Sabonis and Miles Turner together so 
I mean, I think it's definitely on the table that they'll really evaluate what the pairing looks like. It sounds like they want to get a look at it at least, but I still think it all is going to tie back to whether they actually get Sabonis on an extension or not. I mean, there's going to be a lot of pressure regardless. If they don't sign him to a long-term deal, they're probably going to want to look at moving him ahead of that deadline, I would think, unless it goes just swimmingly to start the beginning of the year. Yeah, and that and that was one thing, you know, obviously they have a willingness to deal. They've been listening to offers. Um, but also, you know, when you talk about Miles and, and Domas trying to figure it out now, trying to get playing together, I mean, it kind of adds some pressure to them to do well in the first month or two of the season. Otherwise, you know, they, they might just, uh, cut their losses sooner rather than later and, and, uh, and move one of them. So, um, I, I don't know how, especially at Miles, I, you know, I don't know how adding any more pressure to, what they need from him will work with him. Yeah, what in what way? Sorry. Well, it, I I just you know it, it seems like they won't have a full season to try and figure things out, and just because of the you know the fact that if they're going to move one of them, especially if they get Sabonis on the extension, where you know kind of his value is set, and really those. You know, for 17, whatever, 17, 18 million per year, you know, that's in the range these year, these days of, of a decent salary for what they bring. Um, they'll, you know, there, there should be teams that would be willing to, to make an offer. I guess we're talking about Sabonis at this point. Um, but if, if they can't put it together early and it turns into a, you know, an issue of, Trade rumors and, you know, guys right. getting frustrated and I just feel like, I don't know, in, in my mind I feel like Miles may not handle that type of pressure as well as maybe Sabonis might and that uh-huh. it could spin um, in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, I think I would definitely agree with that. I mean, they already have potential right now. I mean, you bring up a good point that they could be playing like three seasons in one in a certain in a certain <laughs> yeah. sense because I mean, really, like if they're going to try out Miles and Sabonis in the early going, and maybe it doesn't go great, and then maybe they're easing Victor back in, and I don't know, late December, early January, and they're trying to see, you know, how does Victor mesh with this? Then they could go into the trade deadline and think, well, that didn't go great, and maybe they have to move one of them, and then Victor's getting used to playing with somebody else, depending upon how they envision what the roster's going to be at that point. So that's yeah. kind of why I would like to see Goga at least get some minutes in the early going, because there's going to be less recalibration. I mean, this is assuming, this is me taking an assumption that if it doesn't go well, I'm not saying it won't, but if it right. doesn't, then you kind of want Goga to get some playing time so he's ready to step in as a full-time backup center if need be. Yeah, and I'm, <clears throat> I mean, I've just been kind of functioning under the assumption that Goga wouldn't play that much this year just because of his his youth. Um, but, um, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but your over-under piece on, on minutes for Goga, what did you have him at, about 15 or 16? Yeah. Um, that was- and that got buoyed a bit. I should have added in there that I, I kind of buoyed that up a bit when I said it on the thoughts of, you know, Miles and Sabonis are going to miss some games. Like right. inevitably one or the other of them is going to get hurt. And then also just the fact that if they do move on, then, then his minutes are going to go way over right. that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But that, and that's exactly what I, I started thinking. It's like, well, yeah, I guess I could see, um, you know, <laughs> that they're going to have to lean on him on some point if, if things go awry here. 
And but you know it would be nice to not have them play zero minutes and then all of a sudden throw them in there. So um, and that's the whole thing with Nate with these young guys. Sometimes he just doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't you know stagger them in there and then all of a sudden you got to throw them in there and, and um, catching up in a hurry. So and the one thing with that too is that I mean. I will criticize, I do criticize Nate a time or two for how he leaves players in and blowout mm-hmm. games. But for the most part, I, when I was looking over how they've managed minutes, I mean, nobody this year even averaged 33 minutes per game. Like, they do not have people who are averaging 35 minutes a game. So, like, when I looked at that Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins example, those two are playing heavy minutes ahead of that injury that DeMarcus Cousins had. And I just don't think Sabonis and Miles are going to probably touch that degree. I mean, I would expect they'll probably be both around 34 apiece because they just, I mean, the Pacers under Nate's tenure just really haven't had 35-minute-per-game averagers. So you're looking at that share, but then you're going to have to divvy that up with TJ Leaf. And if you actually want to see TJ Warren at the four, which I think that they need to look at, and then whatever else you're going to do with Goga in the time being. I mean, I, I am personally biased because I would really like to see Goga play some minutes with Miles. I, I've i liked everything. All the games that I've seen of Goga that I've watched, I've liked when I did that piece because I just didn't want to write about Miles and Sabonis again. So I looked at Warren and Sabonis and Goga and Turner, and there's a lot of good stuff that you will find of Goga when you watch some of his games over in the EuroLeague. So. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's getting, you know, the rave reviews from... The uh, <laughs> the pickup games down there uh, the last couple of weeks. So of course everybody does at this time of year. Right, but, right. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, it, it seems like uh, everybody's in love with him, his personality and, and the way he's playing. So um, at some point, you know he's going to be a fan favorite here, <laughs> here and people are going to want to see him. Um, so real quickly, one other uh, thing from that podcast. J. Michael mentioned that the Pacers had agreed to a deal for Michael Conley last year, um, but Herb Simon ended up nixing the deal. Um, and he also mentioned that it, they were only going to be giving up, essentially, from their core players, Aaron Holiday and a top pick, which I thought, well, that, I don't see how that would have worked money-wise. I think... I always figured when if he moved Conley, he would have had to have included, uh, actually maybe Miles at that point. Sabonis wouldn't have worked, but um, regardless, um, I, I thought that was interesting. And I think he didn't really have the timing on when that deal was kind of in place. I'm assuming it was before Victor was hurt. If it was after, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I wasn't super on board with trading for Mike Conley, especially after Victor went down, because I just, he's older for one. He has the injury history. You're, and his contract's tied to the ending of Victor's contract. So you're going to be tethered to that for the rest of the duration of the deal. So I was a little bit surprised that they even had that much interest in him, to be honest. I mean, if they were thinking that it's just going to be Aaron Holiday for Mike Conley, like what were they going to do? An uneven trade similar to what they did with TJ Warren? And I mean, I don't even, I don't even know yeah. if that would have been the deal, but I mean, that's kind of like hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, I think if I have a choice between Malcolm Brogdon and Mike Conley, I think I'm taking Malcolm Brogdon every time just because, you know, he's younger. 
And he, I think he still has more room to grow. I mean, Mike Conley does, there's definitely things that Mike Conley, I think, does better than Malcolm Brogdon. I think he's more of a point guard than Malcolm Brogdon is. I think he's going to defend point guards maybe a little bit better, but I just think for the overall timing and how less, how much less prohibitive Malcolm Brogdon's contract is, Herb Simon might have done them a favor by vetoing that. I mean, I don't know what his Uh, rationale was for vetoing it, but. Yeah, well, pretty sure it was either money or money, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, if it was after victory, I mean, I just, I, I just don't see it because, like you said, right. the, way the contracts line up, and then you don't know what victory's going to be this year, and then you, you know, you're wasting it. So, um, I, I was all in on Conley before um, Victor got hurt, um, but it, it, they probably would end up running back all the vets, I, I would think, at that point, and just you know, see what they could do. But then again. In two years, you know, after this year, what would have been the case? At least now, um, they got a good foundation set with guys locked up for a few years. So, um, in the end, I think, uh, Pacers ended up dodging a bullet on that one for sure. Sounds like Aaron Holiday's name is being brandished about an awful exactly. lot. Like, what's, what is his reaction? I would wonder. And now, and now what the interesting pivot is, is they sign his brother. Like, Obviously, right. it's not that you can't be. I mean, Kevin Pritchard's obviously doing due diligence, scanning the market. I mean, that's his job, yeah. but that's a lot of deals for him to be involved in between Orlando, who then went after Markel Fultz instead, Mike right. Conley. I think that that was also reported that Chicago and Phoenix and Minnesota might have had some interest that in that direction ahead of the draft. So, I'll be interested to see if that has any impact on him, or if that's more motivation, or how yeah, that goes. I mean, it's it's flattering that. Other teams want him, but then sure. if if, if the Pacers are including him in their dealings, then uh, that says something completely different. So, yeah, hopefully there's a, a lot of communication going on there between all the parties to make sure uh, everybody's on the same page. Um, so, okay, moving on here, we are, as I mentioned earlier, about a little over a week away from preseason work kicking in. Um, and again, I if you listen to this podcast, it was kind of funny at the end. They went through kind of the best case, worst case scenarios for the Pacers. And, and by the time they got through the worst case, they were really kind of down, <laughs> down on, on the Pacers because it, this season, as you just mentioned when talking about the Sabonis Turner pairing, you know, when you throw in Victor and when he's going to come back, how he's going to be when he comes back, you know, that's a, a monster variable, let alone with all these new guys. So, um, if things go bad, they could, could go really bad. Um, but I feel like the guys they have in that locker room, I know they lost really great veteran leadership with Thad and, and Darren Collison in particular and Corey Joseph. Um, but they really don't have, you know, any guys I would be concerned with in the locker room right now. You know, I mean, unless, Aaron Holiday goes rogue because of all these rumors and, and teams up with his brother. I mean, I just don't see uh, anybody being an issue. I know uh, the Pacers had their golf outing yesterday at Brickyard Crossing, and I heard a few radio interviews with, with Lamb and um, and Brockton. I mean, Brockton couldn't be more impressive. I mean, that guy no. is unbelievable. Yeah. And, I mean, he, you know, he, you know, Victor might not be around, and maybe that might be a good thing early. You know, I mean, he'll be able to establish his voice. 
Um, but I, I mean, I don't see there being a conflict between those two guys. I just, I mean, he, he's just a natural. Um, and, and, uh, you know, he, he was saying that he either wanted to go to Indiana or San Antonio just because he liked the way they play and they played, you know, because of the defensive, um, you know, theories they have and staying with your man and all that. It was just like, oh, this guy knows how to talk it up. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. Jeremy's that, I mean, Jeremy isn't necessarily that way, but I remember seeing a exit interview. Well, I, I remember telling you that I like I pre-wrote a piece about Jeremy before free agency yeah. even opened that I had sitting there for quite some time, and I basically did that because of what he said at his exit interview that I watched from the Hornets because he just talked about, you know, whether I come off the bench or whether I'm starting, I'm fine with it. It's more about how I contribute to the team. And when I was looking down the list of free agents for somebody that could potentially step in for Victor and then slide back to the bench, I'm like, you know, he really seems like a pacer guy. And I think for Mm -hmm. the most part, all these people they sign seem like people that will slide right into their culture and how, how Nate wants to have, you know, a very together, tight knit, sort of culture yeah i agree and and i mean j michael mentioned that um you know they really went after brogdon obviously herb simon you know made a deal and gave up some picks to make sure they got him but that also played a big role in in lamb wanting to come here because they had brogdon already so um those guys all seemed to fit in and obviously they were essentially given tj warren so um, I, I just don't, I don't see an issue with the chemistry or, or with losing fat. I mean, that was, you know, one of the biggest things with fat. Obviously, he was a, a dirty work guy who played defense, took charges, did all that. But, um, you know, I think the playoffs showed that, you know, that, that team was a good regular season team. Right. But, um, when it came to the playoffs, they had to, they had to do something different to, to shake things up. Um, so the the only thing that you know they were talking kind of over under on wins and and I keep the over under for the Pacers really around forty seven keeps kind of fluctuating. I've always been thinking be under just because of the victory factor, but um, you know and we've talked about this before, but you know the, for some reason the Pacers always seem to play harder than everybody more consistently <laughs> uh, in the regular season, which ends up. At least winning them, you know, four or five more games a year, I think. So, um, hopefully this group will, will buy into that same thing and they'll be able to figure out a way to, you know, rework the defense and make it work as it has in the past while, while adding that offense. So, um, I don't know. What, what are your biggest concerns, I guess, with this group? Yeah, I mean, on the worst case side, I think in general, I mean, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but I mean, I think they're going to be a playoff team. Mm -hmm. Even with all of this stuff, I think they're going to be a playoff team. Because if you look at the teams who didn't make it last year, about the only one that I would peg is, oh yeah, you know, they'll probably squeak in there as the Heat. And then you'd think that, you know, maybe Orlando drops out. I don't know. That'll probably be like a bubble. But I mean, I think the Bulls and the Hawks will be a little bit better, but I don't... I don't know that they're going to be playoff teams. And then, you know, Cleveland and Charlotte and New York and Washington, I would obviously be absolutely floored if that happened. Mm-hmm. But so I, I just think there's, there's not much of a chance that they aren't going to be a playoff team. But yeah, I mean, if you don't come to an agreement with, with Sabonis and the Sabonis Turner pairing doesn't work and, you know, Victor isn't quite himself yet and the half court offense doesn't take some steps forward, I would say that the one thing that I would 
peg is like what my worst case would be is this it's like a maintaining of the status quo for the Pacers. Like I don't think they can have a third straight first round exit. I mean, because yeah. nobody's really talking about it much, but like this is the last year ahead of Victor's contract year. Like, oh yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, I mean, you're going in and you're gonna be, you can't really be a first round exit again. I think they need to do better than that, which is going to be hard to do with everything that they're having to balance at the beginning of the year. But I mean, I touched on this a little bit in the six over unders piece I did, but you know, I don't know. Last year it was so. Much of their success was tied to them being able to outscore their opponent in points off turnovers. I remember I did that freelance piece that Mike Prado let me write for the main mm-hmm. site, and at the time they were like twenty-one and six when they outscored opponents off of turnovers, and I didn't keep tracking that because I had to do that manually with a spreadsheet. But <laughs> like that's pretty absurd. And yeah. then like when they when they didn't do that, they were below five hundred. So like so much of it was their ability to do that. And I think you know Victor is really good obviously playing and roaming and so was Thad but even after Victor went out they were still the top team in the Eastern Conference and points off turnovers just when you filter that part of the season because their defensive system naturally produces turnovers with how they funnel and they have quite a few number of players with length I don't know if that's still gonna hold to the degree that it did but if it doesn't if it slips very much at all like you're really gonna need there to be a change up in either their three-point philosophy or how many times they're getting to the line because you have to make up for that somehow some way like their half court offense is just going to have to have to take a step forward and if it doesn't then you know I understand the philosophy and the thinking between behind everything they did this summer I understand all those moves they needed more players that could do stuff against switches they needed more offense but will will all of that actually come into fruition is something that you're still going to have to see because I mean even with Sabonis I've made this argument that I think he's probably the only player on this roster who's above average passer for his position. So if he is somebody that you need to trade, what happens to your passing? Like you don't have a lot of plus people in that area to be connecting both sides of the floor. Goga, Goga has a little bit of that in him. He's more of a play finisher than he is a passer, but I think he has signs of growth that he's a little bit more fluid and dribble handoffs and stuff than Miles is. But I mean, I don't know that you're going to be relying on a rookie to be doing that for you. I mean, so that, that would be kind of some of the concerns and just overall, I think that you know, best case, they would make it to the semifinals. I don't know that of the of the East and the playoffs. I mean, I don't know that I would pick them. I don't know where you stand with with Philadelphia or Milwaukee. I think those are going to be too tough. I, I fully expect that that will be the Eastern Conference Finals. But if they can get to the semifinals and show that they're making progress headed into Victor's contract year, I think that that would be a success given what all they're going to have to be dealing with during the regular season. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I do think the way the offseason fell overall and in particular in the East did help the Pacers, especially with the, the two big thing. Um, but I definitely, you know, I, the only, the only issue you have, I think, with Milwaukee and Philly is haven't done that yet. So they, you know, they have to get over that hump, um, which isn't always that easy, um, to get, to get all the way through, but they definitely, you know, on paper, should be the two battling it out, but um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Pacers' rotation, you know, falls out as well. I mean, when we're talking about, I, I feel like they have the versatility to defend quite well. I think, you know, what what role will Justin Holiday play? Will that, you know, does that put Doug McDermott 
where you're going to get offense right. on the bench, or you go with Holiday. I mean, you know, Holiday and Lamb, those guys are long. I mean, right. six, eleven, ten foot wingspans. They can they can get in some passing lanes. Um, and and you know the way Dan Burke sets things up. I mean, that he, he loves that wingspan. So. Um, you know, I think they have the versatility to mix and match and and uh, do things, but I'll, I'm just wondering how much they will mix and match or, or if they get into some set rotations and just kind of go with it for a while. But you, you can definitely see where, you know, even TJ Leaf, I mean, he's more, you know, your offensive guy. Um, if they're going to give him some run to get, see if he can get something going or, um, you know, just how that's going to play out, I think. Uh, they definitely have more options, but, you know, we haven't seen all of that together. And that's what, you know, when you think best case, you can come up with, you know, a way they can, they can win and do well against, especially the, you know, the latter half of the, you know, the bottom half of the league as they have in the past. Um, shouldn't be a problem, but they gotta find a way to, to be able to, um, perform better against the better teams more consistently and, and get get some offense and not get bogged down. So um, that's where it's going to be a, a challenge. And somebody's got to step in, and, you know, off that, off that bench, and they're going to have to either get the offense or defense or get some some combination of that worked out, and maybe it's all matchups and, you know, maybe certain guys are better against certain teams. Um, I'd love to see that kind of versatility. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of times, and Nate says this a lot, but they like to dictate the matchups, you know, and that's all good and well <laughs> um, uh, in theory, but it, sometimes you got to adjust if it's not working. So, um, TJ Leaf. TJ Leaf is an interesting one that you mm-hmm. pick up because here at the golf outing, Malcolm Brogdon really, they asked, you know, who kind of stood out and that's who he, he said. He actually went so far as saying that he was dominating in pickups. So I don't know <laughs> what sort of strides he's making, but I mean, he's kind of been an interesting one for me because of his, you know, fourth year rookie contract options going to come up yeah, at the end of October. True. And that's like, I think that's at like 4.3 million and the cap's going to be about a million less projected for 2020, 2021. So if you add him in there and you extend the bonus, like they're basically going to be at the cap, if not slightly over it with those guys. So like that's going to be an interesting decision. And then if you do take his option, I think that you'd be playing in minutes. Like otherwise, you know, why? And I kind of, I have some interesting, or not some interesting, I just have some questions about that because, you know, how many minutes are you going to give him? And, and what you just said about dictating or, or dictating matchups to others, like if TJ Leaf is soaking up minutes at the four, like even if he shows strides of reverting to what his three point shot was as a rookie versus last year, I think his post moves are pretty solid. I think he yeah. has a pretty quick second jump. He's fairly fluid attacking off of um, a closeout, and I do think that his team defense improved a little bit last year, even though his individual defense is still, you know, a little bit mannequin-esque when he gets out on the perimeter. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, but if he's playing minutes at the four, I think that you kind of need to know going into the playoffs and see, like, 
what TJ Leaf isn't going to give you that TJ Warren is going to give you, and I don't want to confuse my TJs, but TJ Warren can pilot (laughs) some pick and rolls, and TJ Warren can actually go and do some stuff off a screen, whereas that's not really TJ Leaf's thing. So that's going to open you up to different things, and obviously, like, being able to play Goga with Turner or whatever is going to allow you to have size. So I... Is TJ Leaf going to keep them from being able to kind of delve in and experiment with some of those other wrinkles that might be useful down the road is something to watch. Like, I think it's a great thing if he's taking steps forward. You obviously want as much talent on your roster as you possibly can, but just how will they block and what you said? Are they going to be willing to, you know, switch and move around the Rubik's Cube based on what teams they're playing and what might be needed? And will they actually dig into some of these things? And TJ is going to be one to watch in the next month or so, I think, with what they choose to do there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because he is kind of forgotten a lot. I mean, I, I forget him all the time, but, um, but he does have that, that skill to score around the bucket and, you know, go get the ball and he actually, you know, can get the ball out of space and he's a pretty quick jumper. Um, even though he's not exactly quick out on the perimeter on defense, but, um, yeah, and, you know, you mentioned Gogi, you mentioned, you know, we mentioned Holiday and Aaron Holiday and all these guys, and pretty soon, you know, you're quickly at 10 guys, and, you know, we're, we're going to see Edmund Summer at all, you know, he he has some dynamic parts of his game, which could help in different situations, but um, is he going to be just forgotten there as well? So, yeah, lots going on here. This is why this year is at least... For me, been exciting just because, you know, complete change from the last two years where, you know, two, two years ago, um, you know, we were thinking 30 wins, you know, after the Oladipo came in and, um, and they completely stunned us. So that's why I'm keeping, uh, keeping the faith here. We got, um, a little more known quantities coming in here now and hoping they can put it together. Um, but it should be, uh, uh, interesting, interesting start of the season, especially with the schedule they have. Um, I, again, that kind of puts pressure on them as well because, you know, I, I think I've, I've heard you say before, you know, it almost would be better to have the hardest part of the schedule at the beginning of the year when Victor's out because, you know, even with Victor's back, you know, they might not win those games, but at least you get them out of the way and then maybe could go on a run, but, the way the schedule lays well, and you might Go ahead. Yeah, and you might catch some of those teams before they're like a finished product themselves. Oh, yeah, like yeah. It went earlier in the schedule. And I do think it's interesting how many games they have versus teams that are going to be playing double big. They have quite a few games versus Philly, almost all the games versus Detroit. I mean, obviously DeMarcus Cousins is out now, but their game versus the Lakers, and those are all before the trade deadline. So they're going to get... A lot of looks at how their tradition, more, you know, traditional double center front court is going to be faring against some of those teams pretty early, but. Yeah, so and I mean. Preseason, preseason is going to be more valuable too, almost. I mean, you mentioned that about being excited for seeing something different. Like, how many times does preseason kind of just feel like, you know, kind of <laughs> a little bit ho-hum? And this year it's like, you know, we haven't even seen Goga because he didn't play at Summer League. And Miles and, and Sabonis last year in preseason, I think, played like a total of 90 seconds together. Cause I think Kylo Quinn and Sabonis played more minutes together than <laughs> and Sabonis did, like literally. Oh, and and just seeing all these different players and new faces, I think that that should make preseason a lot more compelling than it's been the last couple of seasons when it's a lot of um, more continuity. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, you know, talking about that bench, guys are literally going to be fighting for minutes <laughs> when they get their turn in preseason. So um, it should be interesting for sure. All right, I think we've been going for a while here. going to wrap up this preseason look at the Pacers, and we will surely get you back on to talk about uh, what's going on after preseason starts. And hopefully everybody will be healthy and we can get a good, clean look at all the options and how everything's going to work and then just keep an eye on, on how Victor's progressing and uh, have a good season ahead. How's that sound? Sounds good. Media day coming up soon. <laughs> yes, next Friday. Can't wait. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Yep, no problem.